together. So let's join together in reading Psalm 145. Together. I will exalt you, O God, my King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day will I bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. There is no end to his greatness. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your power. I will ponder the glorious splendor of your majesty and all your marvelous works. They shall speak of the might of your wondrous acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They shall publish the remembrance of your great goodness. They shall sing of your righteous deeds. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great kindness. The Lord is loving to everyone, and his compassion is over all his works. All All your works praise you, O Lord, and your faithful servants bless you. They make known the glory of your kingdom and speak of your power, that the peoples may know of your power and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all ages. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning is now, and will be forever. Amen. Uh, Good morning. My name is Rod Nunez. I am the new minister to students here. Uh, Started July 2nd, and uh, it's my privilege to be able to share with you this morning. I get to wrap up uh, Summer in the Psalms. Um, So uh, I tell you what, before we jump in, let me me pray for our time, and uh, we'll go from there. Pray with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance um, to just sit together as a family, um, to get into your scriptures, Lord Father, to ask you the questions um, that we bring in here individually, and uh, Lord, we know that you can unpack those. So Lord, we lay before you this morning this passage, and that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, allow us uh, to not just understand it, but to be able to see, Lord, how you uh, can work directly in our lives through it. So we thank you for that in advance, and uh, we lift up our time together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, um, I tell you what, I started July 2nd, and we have kind of been in transition, you might say, uh, doing half a week here, half a week in Roanoke, where my wife and I and my boys are coming from. My wife, Sarah, and Ben and Sam are my my kids. And uh, the psalm that we're looking at today just resonates with me. Uh, At this point in our lives, as we transition into this amazing community, both the community of Vienna and the community of faith here at CCV, um, because of some of the things I've observed, One of the things I just mentioned, it was really cool to see all of these children that this church has, right? I mean, I think that's awesome, and I think it's awesome, too, that there's still some older folks in here. I'm not pointing fingers, right? There's all kinds of ages, but to me, that was one thing I noticed as well. That was a beautiful thing. So when I say this, I don't say this in a negative way. CCV, we have this tinderbox opportunity, And as I looked at this passage, that's what jumped out at me. Wow, all the makings are here. And I've already seen evidence of it. You've probably already 
experienced evidence of what we're going to talk about today. Um, but it's just so cool because we're right there. Um, so obviously today we're going to look at Psalm 145. And we read verses 1 through 13. But before we even go there, I, I feel like I have to kind of lay this foundation, so to speak. Right? Um, it's kind of the nerd in me. It'll come out probably twice today, so excuse me right now. Uh, my training is as a civil engineer from Virginia Tech. So sometimes it just comes out. Thank you. At least one fist pump. Um, so you know that when you build a building, it's very important to have a good foundation. Before we get into Psalm 145 verses 1 through 13, especially the verses we're going to home in on, we need to set this foundation. And it is kind of a, an assumption that would have been very clear to the hearers of this psalm in that day that I believe is not, is not clearly understood in our present day for us, for many of us. And, and that is the assumption, the underlying biblical assumption that life is lived in community. Right? So we all know what the word community is, right? We're all parts of different communities. But I believe, especially in the old world, um, there was maybe a deeper understanding, an experiential experience with real community that sometimes is lacking, I know, from my life. And for all the things that technology brings to us to help with communication and to help connect us, as I look around, as I observe both in our lives and in the lives of the people around me, uh, it tends to still be a fairly separated and lonely place. So before we jump in, I want to look at this thing um, that would have been completely understood in that, in that day and age. So one, as Americans, right, um, we are kind of the underlying force that kind of guides us, especially some of us when we're young, is that we do not need help from anybody. And when there is a challenge, I will figure out a way through this by myself. I will pull myself up by my bootstraps and get through it. Right? I was brought up kind of in that strand where you don't want to impose on anybody around you. You don't want to ask for help. We were very, my, my family, my brother, my mom and dad, that's just how we functioned. And I realize now uh, that's not good. I mean, there's a place for an independent spirit and a hard work ethic, but not completely disconnected from the people around you and the community that God maybe has placed you in. Um, So it does kind of grate against maybe what our suburban American kind of context lays out for us. So we strive to not have to depend on anybody or anything, right? That's the kind of the unwritten target. Um, but we're created, we're created for relationship with the Lord and we are created for community. Um, Johnny hit on it a couple weeks ago and I wonder if you were here. He was talking about that passage and it's one of the few passages you see where Jesus is young. And they are going from Nazareth to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And Jesus, I think, commentators say it was about 12, 13, right? And they all traveled. It was a three-day journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. It was about a week's celebration. And then, Scripture says that they picked up, they finished, and they traveled home. 
And I remember marveling at this when I was a younger Christian reading this passage that it was, remember it was that story, that part of scripture where Jesus stays behind in Jerusalem, kind of sitting at the feet of teachers, but his parents don't realize that he's not with them till a day into the journey. Right? So imagine this for those of you that have children, like really, like I can't go to 7-Eleven with my son in a car to get a Slurpee without being conscious that, you know, he might be in the car when I go back home. So I always used to look at that and think, man, what, what a horrible example of horrible parents. I mean, what kind of parents did Jesus have? But no. See, the presupposition was they traveled in community. And Scripture doesn't say how many people, but this whole concept that Johnny had shared about extended family, where it wasn't just brothers, sisters, moms, and dads. It was grandparents. It was uncles, aunts, cousins, neighbors. People of that community of faith, in this instance, traveled together to Jerusalem. So it was completely normal that on their way back, it would have been maybe that evening when, you know, people are getting put to bed and you're kind of recounting the first day's journey back to Nazareth that mom and dad didn't notice that Jesus wasn't there. And it's this kind of picture of extended family that I know the pastors and leadership at CCV are really uh, excited to be able to delve further into here for us. So this is kind of the understanding, okay, the foundation that would have been present at looking at this psalm. Quick show of hands this morning. How many folks here grew up in a big family? Raise your hands. Say, I knew someone would be smart enough to ask that. The question from up front was, what's big? Right? Okay. Like if I'm from a family of four, a family of six is big. Right? So how many people here grew up in a family of six or more? Raise your hand. Okay. All right, put your hands down. How many people here grew up in a family of ten or more? <laughs> See you. Okay, awesome. All right, growing up, we never had family reunions. My family was very isolated. I mean, I'm from Chile originally, so I grew up here in the U.S., suburbs of D.C., my whole life growing up. So we never had family reunions, so to speak, that were regular occurrences. I had a roommate in college that did, and I remember marveling at his stories of him going to these family reunions, and uh, there would be relatives that he barely even knew. He didn't even recognize, but they would show up for these family reunions, and there would be multiple-day things, and there would be lots of food, and there would be laughing, there would be storytelling, there would be people going in and out. That's the only thing I can think of in our present day and age that might represent what that kind of community might be like. Um, But regardless of the size of the family that you grew up in, I think one of the things that maybe jumps out at me as we establish this foundation of, of what it might be like to be in community is the fact that, and I'll confess to you right now, that when I hear stories of family reunions or extended times together, um, it scares me. I am, I'll confess to you, an introvert. And that might sound weird. It's like, why is the guy with the microphone up front that's a pastor at a church an introvert? And it happens more than you would think. Um, and again, being an introvert as opposed to an extrovert uh, just means you need time alone to refuel, to re-energize, right? It doesn't mean that you don't like people. Like, I like you. I love you guys. It's okay, Right? But when I hear this picture and this vision of community, this biblical community, this present-day community of faith that might exist, that's one of the things that kind of I shy away from. I'm like, oh, 
people around me all the time. You know what? That's okay. Now, I didn't ask people that were extroverts to raise their hand because we might not be able to settle the whole group down. Because if you're an extrovert, you're kind of fueled by people. Right? But there's a place for both in the extended family of God. And there's place for both even in the extended family here at CCV. Um, But I think the key is, as we launch in, again, is this concept of balance, right? And and, uh, there's a a pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he has this great quote, and I wonder if you could find it, put it up here, and it talks about this balance, this balance between community and aloneness, right? I'll read it. It says, Let him who cannot be alone beware of community, and let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings, and the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. Right? So it's pre- it presents kind of this, these two extremes, if you will. And what I love is that, you know what? We need both. We need both. And in biblical community, we could have both. The ability to spend time alone with the Lord, but also to be part of the community of faith he's placed around you, part of this fellowship. And I just wanted to lay that foundation before we jump in. Um, It's not always assumed, um, and we will circle back to it at the end. So having laid this, this kind of foundation of what community might be, we're going to use it as a springboard. What I'd like to do is, is look at not the whole Psalm 145, but specifically Psalm 145, 4 through 7. Very specifically, verse 4. It's one I've been reading over and over and over again and kind of seeing where it connects. Um, I love it because it's kind of this hinge, right? It's this hinge that that allows us to swing this passage, so to speak. So I'll read it. Psalm 145, 4 through 7. One generation commends your works to another, Lord. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Awesome. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. And we're going to leave this up here and spend a little time here. The first thing that jumps out at me as we look at this is this generational speak. Right? We don't really use it very often, and immediately when you hear the words one generation to another or a generation speaks, I think I lose a lot of you. And I think for me, this is something I've struggled with over the years is, okay, well, what does this mean, Lord? You you speak of one generation commending your works to another, and you immediately start coming up kind of with, with these thoughts. It's like, well, What's a generation? I mean, that sounds like it should have a reverberating echo, right? Like one generation speaks to another. How does that apply to me? Um, So we'll go through this. This concept of generation to generation, 
is what we're going to focus the rest of our time on, specifically asking the question of how. How do we live this generation to generation sharing lifestyle in the midst of the community we're in right now? Right? Jim Byrne speak about this several weeks ago about passing the baton. Do you guys remember that? How you pass the baton of faith. And it was funny because before the service, he was running around trying to find someone that ran track so that he could ask someone that ran track to come up and demonstrate that. Right? And that was funny to me because I was like, I don't think I know anyone that runs track. Um, but what I'd like to do is take that baton passing example and flush it out. How does that look like for us? today. Right, so when you first read through this generation-to-generation language, I think a lot of us mistakenly think immediately that, oh, well, this passage right here is only talking to parents of young children, right? Or potentially, oh, it's only talking to grandparents that have grandchildren that they can influence. And I think, uh, I don't think that's right. I mean, what about What about single people? What about couples with no children? What about empty nesters whose kids are are just gone and grown up and gone? What about children and teenagers? Like surely they must have a place in verse 4. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. So as I read through here, I think we usually jump to the conclusion that this kind of verse only applies to us if we have children that we have control over, that we can make them a captive audience and speak to them, right? And, and, and I don't believe that's right. That's too narrow of a view. Of course, that is true. We have a responsibility to pass on, right, to commend the Lord's mighty works to our children. That is for certain true, but I think it's too narrow of a view to take. I think the key is in the word generation. Now, I love Webster. Again, my nerdy side. I favor a certain dictionary. Sorry. Um, but he had this definition of it, uh, and it comes from generate, right? What do you do when you generate something? You, you, you produce something, right? So the definition we're going to use for generation to generation is the production of a new life to make a descendant. Obviously, I'm not talking about physically. What we're looking at, very specifically, is to produce a new spiritual life. The ability to produce a new spiritual descendant that then becomes part of the family of God. See, this opens up a whole world of possibilities in taking this passage to heart and kind of becoming an active participant. You know, where we don't leave the one generation passing... Wisdom from one generation of God's mighty works to the next generation to the spiritual Yodas of every little community. Right? Really, the only, the only uh, thing, the only thing that we need to possess is what? Is faith. So who does this passage apply to? Parents, yes. Students, yes. Children, yes. Empty nesters, yes. Professionals in the workplace, Yes. Everyone that has a knowledge of the Lord's mighty and wonderful works can be intentional about sharing. Do you know the Lord? Have you experienced the Lord do mighty things in your life? If you have, 
This is talking to you. He might use you to commend his mighty works and produce kind of that next generation of faith. You're ready to produce spiritual descendants right here today. That's why I want to look at how. How does this happen? Right? So one of the first questions I want to look at is, okay, the one generation commending your works to another, they tell of your mighty acts, and then five through seven kind of unpacks how you do that. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. So one of the first things I want to look at is, okay, as we unpack this, how do we do this, is who do I share with? For each one of us, where we are in our communities, in our areas of influence, who do I share with? Now remember, the foundation of this verse is community, where we live and where we spend time. Basically, we share with the people we find in the midst of our everyday lives. Now, I'm a huge advocate of mission trips. I am. That's been part of something that's been formational to me over the years. And I think the Lord definitely calls Christian people to travel to foreign cultures to be able to share the gospel, to share of his mighty works. But I think the biggest area where we can commend God's mighty works from one generation to another is right here, in the midst of who we live in and around every day. Our families, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors. Sometimes that's the hardest, right? Like, I'll be honest. Sometimes it's easier for me to get up in front of a group of Spanish-speaking South American children at a school and share Christ than it is for me to share Christ with my mom and dad that don't know him or with close friends. Now, why is that? I think that's worth unpacking a little bit. I think the ability for us to prayerfully consider that question is huge. Most of our time is spent in and among family, friends, co-workers. The ability to pray that the Lord would provide opportunities and courage to be able to naturally speak of God's mighty works in a provocative way, in a good way that brings about people searching. And so... Who shares? We do. People of faith. People that have a story to share. People that have seen God's mighty works. Who do we share with? The people we're in and around. That's the most natural, the most natural way to be able to share faith as we go. To commend the Lord's mighty works. And then what do I share? Right? We're just doing the who, what, when. What do we share? Well... We speak of the glorious splendor, the majesty of the Lord. We tell of the power of his awesome works. We proclaim his great deeds. This is where I talk to folks all the time, and a lot of times they're, they feel inadequate. They feel inadequate, and they ask a question like, well, I know God's worked in my life in a mighty way, but how mighty... How mighty does those works have to be for me to share with someone? Well, I'd say, my goodness, he's taking you from death to life. 
That's, that's mighty. You know, a lot of times I think we have in our minds that we have to have this story to be able to share of God's mighty works where it's this miraculous thing where you're on the edge of a volcano and, you know, God provides this helicopter to come by and save you. And then, then I can package and make that story glossy and I can share that. But I think for me what I've found is that the everyday evidences of God's working in our lives and being faithful is more encouraging and beneficial to me than these amazing stories of someone on the edge of a volcano. Does that make sense? For me in my everyday life, trying to raise my boys, trying to be a good husband, trying to be a faithful employee, you know, if you're a student, trying to be a good student, trying to be God's ambassadors wherever we are, it's those everyday, those everyday works that the Lord does that are encouraging because they apply. They're powerful because we can relate to them. So if you don't have a edge of the cliff story, that's okay. You know a great and powerful God that is always accessible to you, always helping you, always giving opportunities. When we cry out to him in times of need, he is there. These are the stories, I think, in the everyday lives that that is worthy to be able to share and applicable and helpful. So who shares? We do. When we know the Lord and we've seen him work in a mighty way, what do I share? Just a big, huge, amazing, miraculous kind of thing? No. I mean, being saved is miraculous. What Jesus did on the cross is miraculous. But in the everyday, I think that's the most helpful. And when? This is the other question that's kind of always been part of student ministry, is when do we share? Do we just try to set up a student ministry that emphasizes summer mission trips only? So, okay, as a student grows and they mature in the faith, we only share when we go on mission. Well, no. No, that's, that's not right. That's not what the Lord calls us to. So when do we share? And I think the most evident and sometimes the most challenging is we share in the midst of our everyday lives, in the midst of that community we're talking about, in a real, natural, and loving way. I think that's a good idea. When I observe in the lives of the people around me that there is a need that there is a challenge and God gives me opportunity and I'm looking for these opportunities, those become amazing times to be able to encourage and to share the mighty works of the Lord with someone who is extremely open to a word of encouragement, to a word of truth at that moment. So then people might ask, well, doesn't this mean that I need to be present in the lives of the people around me consistently? through the daily ups and downs so that I can notice when they're in a time of need? Yes. Doesn't this take a lot of time? Yes, it does. But that's life together, right? Depending on how you grew up, your family of origin, you might see this more than others, um, but the ability for us to live corporately isn't just a time for us to come 
and worship together, yes, that is definitely part of it. It isn't just time to come and learn scripture together on a Sunday morning. But the ability for us to walk together through the weeks. Well, Rod, what are you saying? We all have to live on a commune somewhere and check in every evening? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's, I, I believe there's a way for us to be able to do life together in suburban D.C. in this context where we are actually recapturing a little bit of that ancient world early biblical extended family. And that, again, is something that I know the church strives to give opportunities for, whether it's meals, whether it's studies together, whether it's service projects together, trying to get times where we can overlap. It is a thing uh, where quantity could potentially be over quality. And this is what I mean by that. Again, I've been around a lot of students over the years, being a young life leader, then being a youth pastor for many years down in Roanoke. Um, and, it, and it always amazed me, well-intentioned dads. Okay, I'm a dad. Well-intentioned dads. Um, work very hard to provide for their families. They work all out to provide not just the needs, but more. Um, And then many times they have hobbies that take time. And it amazed me sometimes because remember, when you see someone's children, you, you see them. And that's very sobering for me with my kids. Right? But you see that it's not always quality over quantity. Like, I think for a mom and dad, for an older person in Christ to be there with younger folks looking for these opportunities, that's the secret. It's the ability to weather those opportunities time after time after time after time. To be present in their lives week after week after week. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, that's difficult. As a dad that gets home and you're tired, when I get home... I think Ben's here somewhere. Sometimes I, I just, I just want to unplug. You're present physically, but not present mentally and hard. And that's difficult. And that's a challenge. We all have challenges like that, but the ability to be present. I have a buddy uh, who is a worship pastor at a church in Roanoke, and he called it the ministry of presence. The ability to be present in the in and the out. And that's not just for immediate families. That can be for groups of friends. You get the point. The ability to be present in each other's lives, waiting for those opportunities. The last five years I've taken a sabbatical. I've been working at a credit union and I've seen kind of this played out, right? I know it's weird. This is like Rod 3.0. My friend Blair Burns tells me, let's hope there's not a four or five or 6.0 version of me. But so I did financial education um, through the credit union system in Southwest Virginia. And I, I saw this fleshed out. The ability uh, for advice and stories of God's mighty works and practical help to be effective needs to be delivered when someone is open to receive it. And that plays out through me teaching about basic credit. How does the credit system in this country work? I got to do classes at libraries that were free and people would just sign up and come. I got to do classes at places of work. ITT would have me in and I would do 
credit education classes for all these professionals during their lunch break? Do you want to know what the best class was that I ever taught? A series of classes? And this is just talking about something boring like how the credit system works. It was at Virginia Regional Jail. Southwest Virginia Regional Jail. And it was a re-entry program. And it was one of those things where you're kind of scared because you're going in and you're zipping through big steel doors after big steel doors and you finally get in there and I've got my little folder and they sit me down and all these guys in orange suits come in and I'm telling you, some of these folks, I mean, they have tattooed eyes. Yes. So they come in, it's very kind of intimidating. But you know what I found? They were the best students. They wanted to know, they realized their need to absorb the information that I was teaching because they were getting ready to be reintegrated into society and they wanted to know why did my house get foreclosed on? Why was my credit so bad? Why, why, why? They were the best students. And I think this transfers over sometimes in us being able to do this generational, generational lifestyle of passing of God's mighty works. It might not be the best where I hear something really cool and I'm excited and I go home and and I sit both of my boys down and I'm just like, this is what I learned and it's God's truth. And it might absorb this deep, right? Now there's a place for repetition. But what if, in our family it always happens in the car or in the van while driving somewhere, You're driving and you get a little question from the back. And it's a very deep question. Sometimes it's spiritual, sometimes it's situational about a life and you didn't expect it as a parent and you're like, whoa, turn down the radio. Great time to address that question and that need. So a lot of times the ability, this ministry of presence to be able to be around people when you see this need and if there's a friendship there, a relationship there, the ability to speak into it using, using the greatest thing that we have, which is speaking of God's mighty works, his, what he did on the cross, our relationship with him. All right, so we're going to spend a few minutes here as we wrap up on fleshed out examples, Right? The first group or so that I'll pick because it's near and dear to my heart and there's lots of folks here in this kind of demographic, if you will, are parents of children. How do we do this? Examples of how we might share the mighty works of the Lord in a genuine and natural way if I am a parent. And if you're a parent of old children, don't tune out because I'm about to get to you. See you guys. Okay? Again, here's the... Encouragement for parents of young children. My goodness, I know it can be exhausting. We're out of those years when our kids were super, super young and they needed you 24-7. My encouragement is in the Lord, stay at it. We're here as a community, an extended family, to be able to support you, not just through prayer, but through physical ways. My goodness, I remember when Sarah and I had our first child and we were like, oh, stop the presses. This is all the time, Right? Like we'd ramped up with a dog, and it's not the same to have a dog as a child. It's just not. We thought so at the time. It wasn't having a dog a huge responsibility, right? Then our son comes along. 
But I remember there was a dear lady in the church, and you know what? We had been at it for months, like 24-7. He had colic, trying to get through that, and she was like, bring him over. And we're like, you know, remember, this is us, our small little family, not a lot of extended family. We're like, huh? And she took him, and he cried. We went out in the car, and we had a meal together, just us. I can't tell you what a blessing that was. I understand what a blessing that is. So if you're a parent of a young child, be encouraged in that. And I'll share this. This is both for the parents of young children and the parents of old children. All right, this is my last nerdy analogy. Get my nerd on here. All right, civil engineering. Do you guys understand how concrete works? Right? It's all around us. We build huge, amazing buildings out of concrete. We walk on concrete. Sometimes artists use concrete to do these amazing curved works of art that could be stories high, right? And they're reinforced. Concrete is basically a chemical reaction, right? You mix cement, sand, aggregate, and water in different degrees, right? You mix it all up. What does it look like? It's this gooey mess that if I poured out on the stage would just run all over because it's not done yet. It's just got mixed. So what do we need to build something beautiful out of concrete is you need formwork. Have you seen what those look like? Usually plywood boards that are reinforced and they hold the concrete in when you pour it in there. Well, here's the analogy. As we raise our children, the Lord's given us this amazing responsibility. And they are like newly mixed concrete. There's all this stuff going on inside of them, right? It's all the same components. It's chemical reaction. There's heat being released, but it needs to be, it needs to be kept in a safe place while it cures. Concrete can take sometimes several years to cure depending on the size of the structure. And what happens is when it's slurry, you can tell it's liquidy. But there is a point in time when you pour the concrete into the forms and it starts to look pretty good. In fact, you can look at it and kind of poke it a little bit and it's solid. We would make a huge mistake to remove the formwork at that point in time because it's not cured yet. It's still curing. I think... I think it's important to note that regardless of how old your children are, they're still curing. And this is, this is awesome in that, you know, a lot of times I've seen the evidences in families where parents, their kids, it's like this marathon, they get to 16 and they rip the formwork off and they're like, we're done. Formwork's coming off. Look, they're formed. They're young adults. Sometimes it's too soon. I have a dear friend. She's a member of this church, and she knows the transition we've been in and the stress that we've been in as a family. And it's awesome because she's older in Christ. And she kind of shared with me, you know what? Your kids never leave. I was like, what do you mean? First I was like, what do you mean? 
But then she shared a little more, and she's like, not only are they always your kids, but God will always use you, you know, to speak into their lives, regardless of their age. We need that. As part of an extended family, we need that. All right, so this is, this is kind of where we get to that call out to folks that aren't parents. If you're an empty nester, a retiree, someone who reached that point where you're like, yes, they're out of the house, woo! We need you. 40-year-old men, parents of two, husband, need you. There are needs in the body that, that God has uniquely equipped you to meet. What if you're a student? I was thinking about this. This has to be true for everybody, right? If the Lord lays this out. What if you're a child or a student of faith? You have faith in the Lord. You know the Lord. You've seen him do mighty works. Well, remember our definition, generation to generation? I've seen this happen. It's possible that a student could share the mighty works of the Lord in their life and influence someone that was 20 years older than them. Is that possible? Students don't think so, but yes. We went on mission trip back in June, July, July, (laughs) to Ohio, rural Ohio. And I saw these groups of junior high and senior high students working harder than I've ever seen anyone work. We were in these wetlands. And they were working alongside these 50, 60, and 70-year-old men that were volunteering. They were passionate about this greenway. And can I tell you, and I've even shared this with the students, they noticed your faith because they hadn't seen any young people in the many years they'd been doing what they were doing, work with the care and the excellence and the love that you guys work with. They noticed. So is it possible for a student to take this and apply it? Yes. Yes, it is. So what happens when we learn to live this way? As a community, what happens Well, let me see if we can get this slide up. The second part of verses 1 to 13 give us a little bit of a hint. So it says, All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. I think as a community, as we live this out, the gospel goes out. People see it. They're affected. Whether they're part of CCV or they're on the fringes or on the outside, they're affected. They come to know the Lord. They see his mighty acts. My encouragement, you all, as we leave is this, is the ability to challenge you to do two things. One, kind of an internal assessment. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, how is your balance doing on this Dietrich Bonhoeffer scale? Are you balanced between alone time with the Lord and time in community? Is that walking out for you? How is that walking out for you? And the second is kind of an external application, not an internal one, is this. Christ Church Vienna, as a a core belief, has 
gone out of their way to offer opportunities for us to live life together, whether that's through study or through service, through celebration. I would ask you to prayerfully consider um, taking advantage of those. Taking advantage of those. Thank you. Let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us this extended family to live as a part of. And uh, Lord, help us to be able to find those opportunities to share of your mighty acts, regardless of who we are, uh, of our age. Lord God, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, that he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Amen.